Hey, it is October already. We hardly notice it here in Arizona. Welcome back to the podcast, The Things We Think But Do Not Podcast, right? Or otherwise known as, a.k.a. Buddy's Owner, Arizona Schnoodle Walks. That's what we got. It's October 2nd, folks. It is 8.06 in the morning. Bright, sunny day. I look around. I don't see a cloud in the sky. That's Arizona. And it's 67 degrees. And uh, and what was the dew pointer? It was really kind of high dew point, 45%. And the dew point is 45 exactly. So there we go. 67. Very pleasant morning. And, uh, yeah. I've got a coffee meeting this morning about coffee. I'm going to drive up to the northern part of... Uh, northern part of Phoenix area, meet with a gentleman I have not met before, Jim. Uh, Dean introduced us, and D- Dean will be joining us. We're just kicking around some ideas about coffee roasting, and uh, Dean met Jim, and Jim uh, is importing, distributing uh, Guatemalan beans. So. You know, the world resources, coffee is grown in many, many places. And uh, they, uh, somebody, somebody had to figure this out, like how to do it. I mean, because there's basically the way coffee, there's so many millions of people. We just, you know, we drink coffee. We go in, coffee, coffee. But it's kind of an amazing product in a way because... Uh, many places just don't grow it, right? So it's all on transportation, um, packaging, getting it distributed, and they and the, the basically it's all sent in green bean, green bean form. So it's just right off the tree. They call those green beans, and they deliver them around the world, and then locally roasted. So you have to roast the green beans. In a, in a roasting process, probably way back when it might have been just a, a fire. And uh, after roasting them, the, the process now is advanced. So they usually roast them and let them sit for at least 24 hours before you uh, grind them. So, <clears throat> you know, the whole, the whole thing probably started out pretty primitive way back when, right, to get the Someone gets some of these green beans and they go, hey, these guys are cooking them on a fire. And the, the tools, there weren't steels probably to like grind the beans. And, you know, so that's uh, when you give things enough time, people figure things out. So Guatemala, I don't know much about it. I don't know. <clears throat> I was going to Google, because I, I remember Googling a month ago or so. There's certain countries that produce like more than 50% of all the coffee. I just can't remember what they are, whether it's Brazil or somewhere. But they, you know, they, they're, they're growing coffee in Sumatra down in Indonesia area and Kenya, even in Africa. So I haven't really studied the... Um, climates or soil or environment that uh, ends up with uh, 
coffee. You know, coffee. There's Kona coffee in Hawaii, so there must be planting beans there. And and so you have the bean, and you know you can imagine if all these it's a, the Earth is a big place, so you, it's not surprising that you get uh, variation in taste and quality or whatever. When what is quality in the in the case of taste? It's so difficult to determine. So anyway, I uh, I am with these have a connection with two brothers in Germany who've been roasting for 20 years. And in the U.S., it seems to be the, the, the buzz is the locally roasted or in-store roasting coffee. And it's a great marketing tool. Because if you roast the beans in the store, you, uh, you know, it gives the ambiance of, like, freshness and so forth. But uh, uh, the scientific thing, when you get into manufacturing a certain like critical mass and critical mass meaning like how many pounds are you producing and how much effort are you putting into uh, studying the process and getting it just right and then how do you keep it consistent so the the, the coffee you roast tastes the same in january as it does in june and just because uh, you probably don't want to be shocking your customers that have been there more than twice and they come in sometime and they're like wow this is different i mean it's okay to change things but for the most part people like to uh find something that they believe in that this is this is the this tastes great they'll even claim ah this is the best tasting coffee right so the elusive like how do you define that and everybody has a little different flavor so consistency is very important producing the same and so as you can imagine, Germans, you know, these two German brothers are been doing it 20 years. They've got it dialed in, as they say, at least to what they like. And I like it. In fact, I just had some roasted in June, probably. But, you know, I waited too long. Here's four months. You're supposed to, you're supposed to like, it's got to be fresh. But it still has the probably 90% of its core flavor. I don't know. There's probably some decay curve, right? You analytics. Not that I'm analytical, of course, but, you know. And what is, what is 90% or what's the decay curve on flavor and who's to say what it is? And maybe even, maybe the 90, if you, if you have it fresh the first day, a lot, most people would like it. But maybe, maybe you walk in there and you have like a month old coffee that's decayed down to 70% of its, you know, robust flavor level. But maybe you like that better. So it's like impossible, I think, in a lot of ways to roast the perfect cup of coffee. <laughs> so in the wine business, they have sommeliers, right, that will tell you, ah, this is, you know, wine is this, this way. And so it is probably with cigars, too, and things. That's taste. It's amazing how, how much credence we put into testimonials and expert opinion right so but then as we were sitting at a coffee shop in Scottsdale the other day and we both agreed it's like look people come here because of location because of the service and that's the dividing line in the business really is, is the way I would spin it the way I frame it is look people come to the coffee shop because it's, it's, it's in their neighborhood or it's convenient 
the service is good. They have baristas or machines that make a fine cappuccino, latte, what have you. And at this point in uh, American culture, it's kind of like we just have an expectation. Starbucks kind of set the standard of like expectation level. And so now there's a lot of smaller shops and, you know, some people gravitate towards that. They're like, hey, I'll try out this local shop guy serving coffee. And it all comes down to service and, and, and uh, good customer experience. And the actual roast itself of the beans is pretty minor. And you can look at it economically too, and I'll probably have this discussion later this morning, is the green bean for economic purposes the farmer who's in Guatemala or Brazil or whatever probably can only sell the bean, the green bean, for a buck, a pound, let's say. Then the guy that ships thousands of pounds or tons of those green beans from Guatemala to Los Angeles, Hamburg, Germany, you know, wherever these beans get imported to, he's got to probably make a buck a pound. Because he's burning fuel, he's got a ship going across the ocean to move this weight. And uh, so he's got to get his buck a pound or whatever he needs. So by the time the roaster even gets it, it's probably two or three bucks for the green beans. And then the green bean dude, the guy roasting it, he's the one who's like putting all the artistry value added, as they say. You know, there's, there's one value to get it to L.A. or Hamburg. There's a value there, and that's why the, the shipper should get paid. And then, um, what else? There's, then now it's in the roaster's hands. So he adds value. So, so I, you know, in some ways, is that uh, roaster adding the most value? They, they typically want to sell their bag of beans for even just say low price of 10, could be, could be 12 bucks a pound. So, and, and uh, in the store, it gets a little bit even trickier. So a Starbucks bag might be, and, and they, they do this in the store. You'll notice if you look at your Starbucks bag in the store, it's only 12 ounces of um, whole bean coffee, which rarely people look at these things. But that's not a full pound, but they like to do that because that way they can sell it for eight, nine bucks for a 12 ounce bag which effectively is like 11 or 12 bucks a pound. But the grocery store's got to make their money too, right? So, um, you know, the actual roaster Starbucks probably sells it to the grocery store for, I don't know, five or six bucks to get it on the shelf. I don't know. And uh, then, uh, you know, then the consumers buy it and they take it home and they've already bought the equipment that they have, the either a a grinder or a machine and you make yourself some coffee at home or in the case of a coffee shop or restaurant it's um it's a fancy espresso machine probably made in italy because they seem to have that dialed in and they make these great uh espresso machines although there is one in switzerland now that's pretty fantastic for about 3,000 bucks, I think it is. Maybe it's, no, wait, no. <laughs> 3,000, who am I kidding? It's $25,000. <000. laughs> 
and you can operate it and tweak it on your app on your phone, which is pretty clever, but um, only a restaurant or a um, coffee shop will have one of these fancy app machines. So 25 grand, not bad, right? You got to brew a lot of lattes with, uh, to be able to buy a $25,000 machine. And so here's the economics then. So let's say, just make it easy. So the, the farmer does a buck, grows it in Guatemala. It's a buck, goes out on the, op- the market. There's a market for beans. There's probably a market for higher quality beans. And then your, your basic Folgers or Maxwell House quality, which is probably trying to get it down to 50 cents or 75 cents a pound or something. So there's probably gradings of that. A lot of trust in the whole chain of value chain, as you call it. So then the shipper gets it over. Then it gets the roaster. Roaster roasts it. Roaster has to package it. The roaster has to market it. Roaster has selling costs. Gets it to the shop. So what I find interesting is the the next step. So a one-pound bag of um, roast or um, whole bean can probably turn into 15 lattes, cappuccinos, or just pure espressos. So let's call it 15 drinks, okay? So, and let's say the 15 drinks are three bucks and a half. So let's do the math. 10 times three and a half is 35. Half again would be 17 and a half. So we're talking 52 bucks. So we'll just call it 50 bucks. So you're basically buying a bag of beans for 10 bucks and turning it into $50 worth of um, coffee drinks. And the value chain people in the middle all have to like kind of accept their role in the value adding process because the, the, the guy in Guatemala, if he's um, fixed mindset or, or if he's like, um, the Germans would say nightish or coveting or envious, he might be discouraged saying, well, you know, I'm the guy that grows these beans and makes sure the plants do their thing and I'm out here harvesting and pulling these beans down and I'm putting them in bags and getting them to the, the shipping yard and I'm only getting a buck. And I know the end of the, the end of the value chain is it's 50 bucks a pound. So someone might say, well, I'm only, I'm only getting like 2% of the revenue on this thing. I'm, and I'm the guy growing it. I'm the, I can, I'm the raw, raw deal, right? And if you get your violins out, people will probably be saying, oh, poor guy. I mean, come on, people. This guy, I mean, you're, he's the one that's growing the beans. And he, he's out there in Guatemala. And, you know, uh, poor guy. He should get more than a dollar a pound, right? But if he gets two bucks a pound, and then the, the guy shipping it's like, well, I need to get my percentage um, for delivering it. So now it's up to four bucks. And the roaster's like, well, now I'm, instead of buying, getting them for like two and a half bucks a pound after paying the grower and the shipper, 
now I'm paying four bucks. So now I got to charge 15 bucks for a 10 pound or for a pound bag. And then, you know, people will say, well, that's okay. We'll just spread that extra two bucks over 15 drinks. So that's, uh, it's not that much. But, and that's the negotiation thing. That's, it's all a subtle negotiation between all those parties, but it's all also on a massive scale and there's all these different channels of people involved. So I'm gonna meet a different part of the channel today and I'll listen and I'll probably learn a lot. But uh, I, what I, all I know right now is it's a ministry and so when, when I hear that, it's like, okay, people throw the term ministry on a lot of things. And it's like, oh, they, they want, they probably want more payment for uh, something that is com- competitively priced. So that, in other words, the competitively priced green beans are probably, let's say, 75 cents to a dollar a, uh, a pound. But since it's a ministry, we want to charge two bucks a pound. And you know, come on guys, it's two bucks. It's just another buck a pound. And uh, oh, by the way, you know, come on, it's gonna get turned into $50 worth of drinks at the end of the day. Can't you guys, you know, can't the value chain come up with, can't the value chain come up with a measly buck for these people? And I guess they probably call that the fair trade thing. That's probably been, I've heard that terminology for 20 years. But see, this is the, the thing like me, I'm an outsider looking in. And I think that's refreshing actually to have an outsider looking in. Because I don't really have skin in the game actually. So maybe people, for those that do have skin in the game, they're probably like, well, Mike, you're just a podcaster walking your dog. <laughs> Which, which is true <laughs> and uh and yet you know you're analyzing this thing and i'm like yeah you know and i the 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 economic competitive advantage is unfortunately competitive advantage can be um hey bud come on the they can be um extracted your competitive advantage can be extracted by the market um, lack of intelligence, right? So, so if you want Guatemalan green beans, and this guy happens to get a hold of you and says, "Well, I can sell you a hundred thousand Guatemalan beans, and we're a ministry, and it's two bucks a pound," and you you know you get the story and the sales pitch, and then uh, you're like, "Okay, I'll pay two hundred grand to Guatemala." You know, maybe I could get it for a hundred grand, but it's a ministry and I'm doing good and I'll market it in my store and say I'm doing this, you know? And there's no right answer to that. I mean, I, I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying it's kind of interesting, right? And there's some level of, I don't know, maybe there's some Harvard study or MBA thing where the guys are like, well, the market is intelligence. You can't assume the market's dumb, right? But it, it just seems like it, it, uh, it can be dumb, right? And it kind of reminds me of, and I think these are exploited advantages for the sellers. 
Um, but why not? Yeah, I guess you got to do it. But when, when I had a customer spending $10 million a year at a factory that was supposed to be producing for them, and they sucked, right? The buyer's like, you guys suck, so we're not going to give you any more business. So we're stuck with you for right now because it takes, there's switching costs of switching to another manufacturer. But eventually they, you know, got it in place and they made the switch. So $10 million went bye-bye because the operation sucked. And this is also an example of the marketplace knowledge. So basically the conclusion to that is like I was told by the buyers, like, well, you need to go find some company that doesn't know how bad you suck. <laughs> so, so, you know, once, you know, if you find some customer that doesn't know how bad you suck, maybe you'll get lucky and actually they'll give you the business. And then this time you'll deliver. Wow. Magic. And that's probably how a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of business probably is done that way. And I, I don't know, I guess there's, I don't, there must be a term for that because like people study this way more than my little dog walks do. But they probably study it and would say, yeah, that's the um, asymmetric uh, imbalance of knowledge or something like that. I don't know. So my preference is not to be living in a environment and that, and because of that you got to put lipstick on the pig right so there's the old lipstick on the pig and that's where salespeople i think get a bad name because it's like well you sold me this thing and you said you guys were going to deliver on time and, and now i find out later that this company pulled 10 million dollars of business out of your factory because you suck at quality and delivery and i didn't know that and you didn't tell me that you suck so you're just a sleazeball salesman telling me that, oh, things are better now, it's improved, oh, we're so great, we're going to pay attention to your stuff, you know, don't look behind the curtain, it's going to be fine. That, that's not a very satisfying sales experience for anybody. So, uh, it's, it's being transparent in the business. But then, like, some people be like, well, don't be too transparent. You can't be 100% transparent about everything or you're not going to sell anything. And I'm like, I don't know. I, don't, I disagree with that. I mean, I think being transparently honest about the value that you bring is the ultimate goal in any kind of business, right? It's the, it's the integrity. That's where your integrity, people want to claim integrity, but... It's hard to in this life, and so it's buyer, I guess I have caveat emptor. Is that Latin? Get into some of that. Buyer beware. So, uh, and the job of the, the salesman, you know, if you have buyers and sellers, is to alleviate the fears, concerns of the buyer. So, so when they do the natural buyer beware discussion, they... Uh, they're convinced that you're going to deliver and do what you say you did for the, the price you did. So that's the podcast for this morning. It was a short walk with Bud. Oh, I need to get uh, some new 
poop bags for the bud. And uh, you know what? I'm gonna go back because I'm a really super duper dog owner here. I, you know, the problem was there was no poop bags this morning in the container. So now I feel bad because I left one bud poop somewhere and he left, he left some poop on his lawn. So I'm gonna go back and get that and I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep the podcast going just to prove how kind and full of the Holy Spirit of love and patience, kindness and faithfulness to pick up Buddy's poop. But I'm not going to take Buddy with me because I just don't want to. It's a little, it takes a little longer to get there then, right? So Bud, let's see if Bud would probably bark at me for like walking out on him. But sorry, Bud. I, I, it's not his fault that he pooped. He had to poop. He didn't know I didn't have the bags, right? Buds, Buds didn't know <laughs> that I didn't have any bags in here. And he didn't tell me, like, hey, the guys before you didn't replace the bags. So, so there was a bark. And Bud's like, I know he's going, he's walking somewhere, and he's not taking me with him. What's with that? Poor Bud. So um, sales, value add. Um, I'm, I'm getting into the Ask Method videos again seeing some good stuff it's it's good i'm cautious because i i believe people should get value for money as the english would say (laughs) what's the value for money and and really it's the customer has to define the value i mean the seller can can scope out um what they believe is the value so like the one the one guy's like well um, he used to be, let's say, charged like 50 bucks an hour for his initial ideas when he got started. But then he was delivering more and more value and, and people were having more and more success. Now, I would argue that he provided the same value initially. And it probably got better. I mean, he probably probably is much more efficient. So maybe now um, the information he communicates in one hour may have taken four hours before but um so you know and and initially starting out um let's say it was 50 bucks an hour so right away he should be able to charge 200 bucks an hour but then you look at it and you go oh well i've had um 20 clients and those 20 clients created um million dollar businesses million dollars of revenue a year and uh you know they followed my process and my advice and my my knowledge and experience so what's that worth right what's the value add now right so now you're looking at the delivered outcomes of his coaching training process system and it has high value so, I mean, he can legitimately say, well, um, my hourly rate now is 5000 bucks an hour, which sounds incredible, right? It's like, whoa, man. And 
that one hour at 5,000 bucks is worth it to the right person. It's not right for me because I'm not ready for to receive the information to utilize the $5,000 of value. There's value there. If, if I was in a position to, um, to, to put that into practice, right? So, um, mission accomplished. I think I found the spot. So I came back to clean up, grow little buds here. And, uh, you know, I did the best I could, you know? And uh, so we clean that up and we walk back home. And uh, there's that. So value for money. So yeah, I wouldn't, uh, very few people would get more than $5,000 value out of that one hour. But there are some that might get $100,000 of value out of spending one hour with the guy. Now, I mean, it's so tricky because out of that one hour, there's probably going to be like 10 minutes of like key actionable ideas that you hadn't thought about. So should you pay him only for those 10 minutes of value or one six or 800 bucks? I mean, you can, you can, you know, the guys who are doing the buying and the cost analysis could say, okay, I'll pay you $5,000 an hour, but I want a refund if I only use 10 minutes of this information. So we're going to record this one hour and then a year from now, and uh, I'm going to make my million dollars, right? Which kind of puts the whole thing in kind of crazy perspective, right? Because if you actually did in the future make your million dollars of revenue, then getting a refund on $5,000 is kind of ridiculous, right? Right? I mean, and I guess that's why these 30-day guarantees, no money back, or I mean, uh, no hassle return policies are great. And uh, with coaching and this, it's like you see the value in it. There's learning and... Uh, it's 30 days. It's just not long enough really to tell if you can see the direct payback for things. But someone could decide like they know that they're not going to follow through on the, on the coaching and the whole process. So they want to drop out and get their money back. So that's probably okay. That's not bad. But that's abundant thinking too, right? And with the process, you might as well say, well, hey, some of these, these are definitely, it's, it's kind of like B to C, like consumer business, but the B is also a consumer. So it's like, it's like C to C, consumer to consumer business. Now, and then, and then it comes down, of course, these people who are offering services, information, coaching, it is a business. But it's not what you traditionally think of a, a business in the last like 100 years of the Industrial Revolution where the focus has been on production, manufacturing processes and uh, cost cutting and labor issues and things like that. It's really a knowledge 
exchange, a coaching exchange. And it's good. No complaints from me. I'm I'm learning that 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 makes sense. So uh, where's the value? I mean, what's what value could I deliver? And uh, interestingly enough, the the guy still spends a lot of money on his own individual development and coaching for himself, which is makes total sense, right? Investing in yourself. And in a lot of ways, these people I'm hanging with or checking out or inter- interacting with are coaches. They're they're experts in something, and they're sharing a process that they use to uh, build a business. And in some ways, someone could say, well, it's all, oh, this is just multi-level marketing, but it's kind of tricky too. It's, it's, um, it's not really multi-level marketing because, I mean, you can look at this one's kind of philosophical, I guess. Um, you could look at it two ways, right? You can say, well, multi-level marketing is traditionally the Amways, the, the different selling of products that a company has. They have this special product. And the people that get in, they're like, they um, get coached. Like someone may do Amway, Mary Kay Cosmetics or something and sell it and do well, develop relationships. And, and it's, it's, this is back in the 80s and 90s, whatever. And they're like, okay, this is going great. And they're like, well, like multi-level marketing is like, okay, well, now you've, you've done really well for a year. Why don't you coach some other people and you get a cut of their revenue? So, and it's multi-level marketing because you're marketing the same thing at um, the same products and services, repeat the same process, the same messaging, the same pitch. This is subtle because it is, in a way, you could say it is multi-level marketing. The twist is that what you're marketing is your own. You're marketing yourself. You're marketing your knowledge. You're marketing your experience. And you're, you know, what is this person going to do to transform? So I think I'm starting to figure it out. But actually what I'm doing is just frameworking it. And, and I have this disdain for frameworks myself. So I know that I just framed my experience in a multi-level marketing way, which as soon as someone hears that, they could say, oh, well, I don't like multi-level marketing. That sucks, right? And they might, might be predisposed against it, right? Or you could say like, oh, well, that actually makes sense. And, and you know what? The fact that each person is not marketing and selling somebody else's product and service, but their own is like the ultimate in personal expression that every person brings their thing. And it takes time to hone your brand, develop your brand. And I hear this in job search too. It's like, well, what's your brand, your personal branding statement, right? And, and so 
so many people are, maybe it's just the process of life and there's new language. This is all language around something that's probably been going on for 3,000 years, right? Or for, since humans have existed. <laughs> the, 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 the big caveman with the big stick, his personal brand is brutality. <laughs> and and he, he, they know, hey, dude, big stick guy. Go go go! Beat some uh, deer in the woods, and we can eat, right? So his he he's the first Fleischerai, you know, the the meter or the jager, the the hunter, right? So he goes out, smacks the deer, and everybody in the village is like, "Wow, I like his personal brand." You know, it's not my personal brand. I ain't gonna go hunt, but I'm sure glad he's in our club. And he goes smacks down the the deer, and they all eat. You know, eat what you hunt. Oh, yeah, good sale stuff. Anyways, folks, I'm back inside, and it's warming up. The sun's up. I got to get ready to go and talk coffee, even though you and I did together. We talked a bit coffee. I am going to humble myself and actually listen and not assume I know the answers. Wow. This is my personal transformation. I'm transforming into a better um, person that way. All right. So y'all have y'all sounded Texan now. Y'all have a great uh, day or whenever you're listening to this. So, um, bye-bye. Oh, grace and peace. And I will listen to Billy Joel overnight. I was thinking about Billy Joel and I got to, um, play the song. I don't know why I go to extremes. Right, either too hot or too cold. That's that's my confession on my mood swing. So I'm I'm in a pretty good mood today, and I didn't tell you why, but um, I had a, a connection, a network connection for a position, and this looks pretty exciting. There's no so far the the guys you know playing it cool like there's no job, but um, I'm hoping to be so great that they can create a job for me. So so there you go. That's probably the better way to be. That's what they say is is the best. So. All right, y'all, y'all, or you all, or everyone, everyone, love everyone always, or is it love everybody always? Okay, bye-bye.